Episode 2 of Us Versus Them. You didn't catch episode 1. Please go back and listen to it, but I can, you know, briefly catch up on, on what this series is all about. It's going to be about how regular Americans like you and I, how we need to come together and unite and recognize that we have a lot more in common with each other than not. You know, we mostly want the same things out of life and from our government, and we need to unite and fight against the people who are holding us down. Guys, look. I'm sure you've all seen the cop kneeling on George Floyd until he died. It was horrific and tragic and disgusting, and we should all be outraged. But don't let them, the media and the politicians, continue to divide us. Right now, a great American city is burning. We're letting them divide us. And people, people don't get that. When you break it down, we all have one common enemy here. Just look at all the movements we've seen in the past decade. You've got the Tea Party, Occupy Wall Street gay rights activists, Black Lives Matter, the Women's March, the lockdown protest. In all of these cases, we're fighting with each other, pointing at each other. But when you really think about what you're protesting and who the bad guy is, it's obvious. I mean, you got Black Lives Matter saying, the government does not have the right to kill one of our own in cold blood who's not a threat to them. And damn it, they're right. The government does not have that threat, but that's exactly what just happened. The Women's March is saying that the government doesn't have the right to tell me what I can do with my body. You got the gay right activists out there protesting unequal marital rights. Well, where are those rights handed down by? The government. You got the Tea Party. They were protesting saying that the government does not have the right to take my taxes and spend my children's future into insurmountable debt. Occupy Wall Street. They were stating the game is rigged, giving an unfair advantage to the billionaires on Wall Street. Well, who rigged that game? Government. People now are protesting the lockdowns and stating that the government doesn't have the right to lock you in your house and force you out of their job. And that's right, they don't. And guess what? All of these groups, all of them, they are all right. The problem is the elite, the elite, the media, and the politicians They've got you confused about who the bad guy is. We're pointing fingers, fingers at each other. And instead of embracing all people, we're identifying according to the identity politics that they've poisoned us with for over a decade. I mean, fuck these ways of classifying and identifying people. You know, black, white, man, woman, gay, straight. They use identity politics to divide us and trick us into fighting with each other. If you force someone to identify with a group, that group has an opposite group. There is only one way we should all identify. Team human. I'm on team human. You're on team human. Forget team Democrat and team Republican. They don't work for you. Those politicians do not work for you. They work for the elite. They suck you in with rhetoric that you like to hear about abortion or gun rights. And then they get you shouting at each other. And while you are shouting at each other, they're going to rob you blind. We are team people. They are the elite. They get rich on wars. Our kids die in wars. They get rich during a recession. We lose our houses and our jobs. They gain more control every time a new law is passed. We lose our independence. But they've got us fooled. They've got white Americans pointing at Mexicans and yelling, illegal. They've got blacks pointing at whites screaming, racist. 
They've got women pointing at men and yelling, sexist. They, they, they fool us into pointing the finger at each other and fuck them. Stop burning down your own communities that you need to live in and pointing at the white business owner across the street, attempting to burn his business down like this is his fault. It's not his fault. That man, he's suffering too. The government and the media and the billionaires who buy the politicians are the enemy of the people, and it is time for us to take the fight to them. We need to get them off our TVs and strip their power away by voting all of them out of office and take that power back for ourselves. Now, I cannot fathom why people support big government. I don't get it when it's so obvious that government is the enemy. I don't get why people feel that like government needs to be their daddy and tell them what they can and cannot do. Listen, guys, daddy is abusive. And look, I mean, if people find what I'm saying obnoxious or uncomfortable, if I lose a couple friends over this shit, so be it. It's important that we figure out how to get along and that we recognize team people versus team them, us versus them, and that we direct our anger in a constructive direction. And if we don't, we're going to keep letting the elite hit us against each other with their identity politics, and we're going to hand off a really shitty world to our kids. And I love my kids far too much to just sit back while that happens. Don't let it happen. So anyway, let's, let's get back to, th- to the, the subject matter of this podcast series. And it's that your government, your politicians, your media, uh, the elite, they want us fighting with each other because when we're, not fight- when we're fighting with each other, we can't take the fight to them. They use the identity politics to pit us ag- against each other according to skin color, sexuality, gender, and it's fucking gross. It's really fucking gross. I, I didn't come up thinking like that. I I don't think like that today. I don't care about someone's gender, their sexuality, their color. I care about, you know, do they make me laugh? You know, (laughs) can I go out with them and have a good time? That's what I care about. And I think most people, I think most people think like that. I could be wrong, but I think most people think like that. But I think more so today, we're getting away from that. We're allowing them to, to pit us against each other. So... The whole point of this podcast is it's us versus them. We get caught up in these teams of Democrat versus Republican, conservative versus liberal. And we hear these talking points and um, we jump on a side and we point at the other side and yell, you're bad, you're wrong. And it's silly because the politicians don't care about us. They don't care about the talking points that they have a shouting each other. They don't care about most of the issues they're talking about. They care about power and money. And as long as they have us arguing with each other, they're going to keep stealing that power and money for themselves. All right, so in episode one, we covered the Federal Reserve and how they can create recessions to steal from the middle class. We covered the carried interest tax loophole um, and how Wall Street uses that to pay half the taxes that guys like you and I do. Okay, so in the series, we're going to go through a timeline of events in, in American history and show you how, how the elite are screwing over the common man like you and I. So in this episode, what we're going to cover, we're going to cover prohibition of alcohol and marijuana. 
We're going to cover the Spanish flu. We're going to cover the Emergency Banking Act. We're going to cover the, the government confiscating gold after the last depression. We'll cover the Enemy Act. We'll cover uh, Nazis coming to America from our government. And we're going to cover the Red Scare and blacklisting Hollywood people. All right. So episode run one ran about an hour. And uh, I was told that's too long. And it is too long. I'm, I'm, I'm too boring to listen to for an hour. So I'm going to try to keep this down to about 30 minutes. All right. Um, I'll do my best. So let's start in 1918. That's about where we left off last time. All right. So don't get bored. Think back to 1918. I promise this is relevant to you. In 1918, we passed the 18th Amendment, which was the prohibition of alcohol. And it lasted for 15 years. Alcohol was illegal the same way that cocaine and heroin are for 15 years. You had no right to consume it. Now, prohibition didn't stop people from drinking, just like prohibition of marijuana and other drugs has never stopped those drugs from being consumed. Prohibition doesn't work. It's like prohibition of prostitution doesn't work. Um, All those laws do is create black markets for people to consume them on. They, They take what could be regulated safe industries and turn them over to criminals, right? A black market is typically run in secrecy and it's not run by America's finest citizens. So it's going to be dangerous and cost lives and prohibition of alcohol heavily contributed to the rise of the Italian mafia. All right. So I'm going to get back to that, but we're going to, we're going to bump it up in 1918 to the Spanish flu. Cause that's kind of relevant to what's going on in the world today. I mean, maybe we should just call it the 1918 flu to be politically correct, since you know we're not allowed to call the China virus the China virus. We have to call it um, COVID because um, of racism and all. So I don't want to be racist against the Spanish people. Um, but I don't want to con- confuse you, so I'll just keep calling it the Spanish flu for now. So nearly every pandemic in human history is named after the place where it comes from. Look them up. They're all named that way. But um, we're calling China flu COVID-19. Now, how did that happen? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. But I think it might have something to do with the World Health Organization and the entire elite media profiting from being in bed with China. But I don't know. So I'll try not to speculate. But let's get back to the Spanish flu and its name. The Spanish flu did not actually originate in Spain. What? Didn't. This was another lie that your government told you as a way to suppress information and control the narrative to their advantage. The exact origin of the flu, it's still not known, but the first recorded case of it was on a military base in Kansas. American soldiers took the disease with them to military bases in Europe, and soon it started infecting the French and the Spanish allies of ours. Now, Spain was neutral in the war. Thus, they, they were the first country to begin openly reporting it. Countries like ours, the United States, we were filling the airways with wartime propaganda, like we still do today. And we were misinforming people about the, the pandemic. Why were we doing that? Well, because if it wouldn't exactly bode well for moral support and support of our troops and the war if we let the whole world know that we had infected the world with a pandemic. Does that sound familiar? I mean, it seems like what's going on with the China virus today. Um, so we could talk about World War One, but I, we're not going to. I'm not, I'm not going to get into war talk until we get up to like the Korean War. Um, all I want to tell you about World War One is that 
the government hates it when you don't support their wars from which they make a lot of money and that the reason we go to war is never the reason that they're telling you. I'm not going to say World War I did not need to be fought. I'm not going to go there. You can, you can research those kind of things on your own and come to your own conclusions. I'm going to tell you that a lot of people got rich off that war. A lot of people got a lot more powerful off that war. And that we didn't fight it for the reasons they tell you we fought them. Okay, so let's get back to Prohibition. 1926. All right. At this time, the government began intentionally poisoning alcohol products and pushing manufacturers to do the same. With any, with any alcohol products for the purpose of discouraging bootleggers from turning the alcohol into moonshine. So by the end of Prohibition, more than 10,000 Americans had been killed by tainted alcohol. I mean, the government was so convinced of its absolute power and our obligation to follow their commands that they were willing to kill people who dared to defy their decisions. So there's a lot to, to discuss and question here. Number one, does the government have the right to tell you you can't put an unhealthy substance in your body? Alcohol is definitely not healthy for you, but there's lots of things that aren't healthy for you, right? So if they have that right, well, why don't they outlaw sugar? Sugar kills more people today than alcohol. It's a drug. It's addictive. It makes you fat. It give, it's linked to pretty much every disease known to man. Um, so they label some things drugs, like alcohol. It's called a drug and, uh, and um, marijuana. They, call it, they put this word on it, drug. But what actually is a drug? Well, drug is anything that has a chemical reaction with your body and can alter your thinking. That's literally everything. I mean, that's food. You eat food, your body breaks it down chemically, and that those chemicals affect your body. They affect your mood. They affect the way you think. They affect everything. Everything's a drug. It's just the government has decided you're not allowed to have some of them. And back then, in 1918, they decided you couldn't have alcohol. Well, uh, you know, alcohol makes people drink and drive and, and kill people. Sure, it's dangerous. There's a lot of dangerous things out there. People drive without alcohol and kill people. You know, nobody's, nobody's prohibiting cars. And I know that you hear that argument a lot for a lot of things, but it's, it's relevant. Like we have to decide as a society what degree of responsibility and risk we are willing to take on our own and how much we want the government to make these decisions for us. Because you and I at least have our best interest at heart. They don't. They have ulterior motives. So, I mean, what I'm going to say next, I, I, I'm guessing less than 5% of the people would listen to. I'd go as far as saying that it's not the government's responsibility to protect us and be our nanny and that all drugs should be legal. I mean, if we already agree that the government shouldn't be deciding what's okay for us to ingest, then you got to take that to its logical con conclusion to say, well, okay, big brother, the government, they know, they know better than me about heroin. So they should make that illegal. But I know better than them about alcohol, so I should be able to make that decision for myself. Well, that logic doesn't really hold up. Either you know what's best for you or you don't. And if you, if you determine that you know what's best for you, then the government has no right or authority to make heroin illegal. And if you're worried about other people in society, that's on them, right? Okay. Well, then there's the argument, well, if you make something legal, more people will do it, right? 
if you make if you make uh, heroin legal, more people will do it. Maybe I don't know. Probably I'm not going to rush out to do it. Are you? But I'll tell you what: less people will die because they get it safely and it won't be tainted. People die more from what heroin is laced with than they actually die from the heroin. If they can go to a a, a pharmacy and buy heroin and then and know exactly how powerful that heroin is and know that it's not laced with with any harmful chemicals or any drugs that are more powerful than heroin, well, they're going to be a lot less likely to end up in trouble. I mean, that's just a fact. We've seen that in other countries. Other countries have started programs like that. Well, then you got the argument, well, if you make, if you make things legal, more kids will do it. I mean, really? Is, that, is, is there any proof of that? I mean, marijuana was illegal for my entire childhood. It was, marijuana was illegal till I moved out to California. And I don't know a single kid growing, who I grew up with who didn't try marijuana. So how many more of them were going to do it? They all did it. You know what I'm saying? And I knew kids who were doing heroin and I knew kids who were doing coke. So those being illegal didn't exactly stop them. The government is not my nanny. They don't have my best interest at heart. And when they make something illegal, they make a lot of money on it because as we're going to learn later, they use these illegal drugs to make money for their wars that they want to fight covertly. I mean, we have all kinds of evidence about the government selling cocaine to inner city black children to raise money to fight wars in South America, and we'll get to all that. So it's not even necessarily that they think they should be illegal. They're just doing what's in the best interest of their power, their control, and their bottom line. Okay, so coming out of Prohibition, we entered the Great Depression, all right? Uh, The Great Depression, 1933, it was caused by government. And during it, they did what they always do in a time of crisis. They took advantage of the crisis and they stole wealth and power from the middle class and they handed it over to the ruling elite. That's what what they're doing to you right now, right fucking now with that $2 trillion bailout that we just had. That $2 trillion bailout didn't do shit for you, didn't do shit for my small business, didn't do shit for anybody who's not worth $100 billion, $100 million. They stole wealth from you. We talked about it in episode one via inflation, via future taxes, via the future buying power of the dollar. Okay. That's, they did the same things in the Great Depression. In 1933, they created the Emergency Banking Act. Uh, FDR signed it into law after a week of suspension and banking that had been enforced to slow the run on all the banks. Um, the act was supposed to restore America's faith in the banks, and it did. But beyond that, it also gave the federal government and the, and the Federal Reserve a massive expansion of power that they've been using ever since to cripple us. So what, what was in that Emergency Banking Act? Okay, um, and This kind of stuff sounds boring. I'm, I'll try to keep it interesting. So number one, it allows, it allows the president to um, have complete control of the banking system during a banking crisis, including retroactive regulation of all banking functions. So the wording of it is generic in a way that the president can determine what the crisis is. So anytime he can decide there's a crisis and then he can take control of the banks. It gives the government the power to seize a bank and all of its assets if it feels it's necessary. And they did such things. 
And then it gives the Federal Reserve the flexibility to issue emergency currency, which is what we saw with the bailout this time and in 2009. So typically when the Federal Reserve issues currency, they have to buy up assets. It's kind of it's a fraudulent process that we talked about before called uh, quantitative easing. Listen to episode one if you want to understand that. But the emergency currency, they don't even have to do that. They just print it out of thin air and hand it out, handing it out to the banks that they own. That's ridiculous. Um, and let me remind you that the Federal Reserve is privately owned. It's owned by the heads of the banks whom they hand the emergency currency over to. So they print emergency currency and give it to themselves. That's fucking insane. I don't understand why that hasn't been the headline story on every news channel every single night since 1933. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I would sure like the ability to print money whenever I had an emergency. But I think I think that's a crime. I think they call it counterfeiting. But I guess when the Fed does it, it's legal counterfeiting. Okay. Also, with... Because what I talked about with the the power to grab assets in 1933, after FDR signed that and gave gave himself the power to do these things, he immediately confiscated all of the nation's privately owned gold bullion. Okay, so I I've been buying gold bullion since the last recession in 2009 because I feel like eventually the power of the dollar is going to be worthless. So I I buy gold. A little bit, you know, maybe 10% of my savings every year I put into gold because it holds its value very well. And when the dollar dollar goes down, that goes up. But the president has the ability to say, okay, the dollar has crashed. We're going to need all that gold back. And that could happen because it did happen in 1933. They forced Americans to turn in their gold. So Americans who were responsible and doing the right thing got penalized and people who were careless benefited. And it's just like what we talked about with the bailouts Um, companies who have been fiscally responsible, small businesses, they uh, get penalized by this bailout because they assume the debt of all these companies who were not fiscally responsible, like these airline companies who get these massive bailouts well, they get that money and the burden of that falls on small businessmen and regular citizens. So people who are doing things right get penalized. They're going to come take your gold. Um, and they're trying to do the same thing now with another $3 trillion bailout. Um, I don't know if it's been passed or not, but they're trying a $3 trillion one. And what they're going to do with this one is give the money to liberal states who have spent themselves into a hole. And again, punishing states who were fiscally conservative and did not spend themselves into a hole. They're going to have to bear the brunt of it. I don't know if that's passed, but I know that they're trying to push it through. So, um, all right, that's that. Let's move on to the Marijuana Tax Act, okay? More prohibition. This is in 1937. Now, this one, this one, this one is bonkers, um, if you're one of the last seven people in America that still believes marijuana is terribly dangerous, that's fine. I'm not going to argue with you. But set that aside for a second and let's just look at the political motivations behind this prohibition. 
The decision to make marijuana illegal, it had nothing to do with protecting Americans from marijuana. It was about protecting the empires of a few billionaires. That's the story. So you had William Randolph Hearst, okay? This guy was the owner of Hearst Communications, which is the largest news media conglomerate in the world. He also owned the biggest timber company in the world. So he made money with his timber company by producing paper for his media company, right? Now, hemp was coming up and emerging as a major threat to his timber company because hemp, which is the... um, non-psychoactive component of cannabis was stronger, it was cheaper, and uh, more durable than paper. Hemp could produce more fibers of better quality in only six months than timber could produce in three years. So hemp was putting uh, William Randolph Hearst's timber business out to pasture. Okay, He was going to lose billions. All right, let's talk about another billionaire, Rockefellers. The Rockefellers, I'm sure you know that name. Um, John Rockefeller was massively invested in pharmaceuticals, okay? Cannabis was already being used in medicine to treat a lot of illnesses. And the problem here is that cannabis is so cheap and easy to grow. Anyone can grow it. I have it in my garden in the backyard. True story. So because it's so cheap and easy to grow, it's almost impossible for pharmaceutical companies to profit on it. Now, now that they've legalized it, um, they're working on ways to figure that out, how to profit on it, and I'm sure they will. Um, but at that time, it was a big threat, okay? But just imagine how much farther along cannabis medicine would be today had its development and testing not been interrupted for 90 years because of prohibition of marijuana. That, that's criminal, so not only they didn't just make it illegal, they made it a schedule one drug, which means that they deemed marijuana to be so extremely dangerous that it had no medical value at all and, the, and it could not even be used for experiments. For context on that, opium, which is the precursor for heroin and cocaine, they're only schedule two, which means the penalties for those are not as severe and they can be used in medicine. Pretty interesting, right? And even though uh, states have legalized marijuana, it, it does remain federally a Schedule One drug. People, I don't know if people realize that, but it's still a Schedule One drug federally. So if they do catch you with it and they want to punish you, they can. All right, billionaire number three, DuPonts. I'm sure you know the DuPonts family, all right? Um, they owned a chemical company that had started producing plastic, which was made from petroleum. And their company was suffering after the Great Depression. Hemp was rising as a competitor to their plastics. So, of course, they needed it destroyed. So you got, you got the DuPonts, you got the Rockefellers, you got William Randolph Hearst, probably the three richest Americans at that time. So what did they do? Real, William Randolph Hearst collaborated with these guys, and he used his media companies to spread racist lies about marijuana to protect his timber business. Now, let, let's move beyond the fact that the media is supposed to be the watchdog of government and corporate America, more often than not, that's not the case. They work hand in glove with them both. And and I'm going to show you example after example of that. And that's why I include the media when I talk about the evil elite, because the media, they're part of it. They're not giving you the news. They're not giving you the news. They're giving you the news that they want you to have. And they perpetuate that. 
I mean, guys like William Randolph Hearst own the media. Today, guys, you know, you had, um, uh, what's his name? The Fox News guy, right? He, he, he owned the second biggest news media company in the world for a long time. Um, all right. So, I mean, we're seeing that kind of stuff today. Like CNN, they won't cover any news right now that doesn't fit with the narrative of coronavirus um, that they want to put out there. You know, and the, and the narrative they want to put out there is the narrative that coronavirus can only be stopped by lockdowns. Facebook and YouTube are taking down videos from doctors who suggest alternate views. So the media doesn't just give you the news. They give you the version of the news they want you to have. All right. So what we had here is the person who was giving you the news was the person who stood to gain from the news you were getting regarding marijuana. There was literally zero degrees of separation between the person who stood to gain and the person putting out the news. His company came up with the name marijuana. Okay. Before that, it was not called marijuana. He came up with that name. It's, it's a misspelled Mexican version of the word. And he began producing films. His, his media companies began producing films and other media and, and news stories producing, portraying marijuana as a drug that turned Mexican men and black men into drug-fueled raping machines who were coming for your white women. The most famous of these movies was the 1936 movie Reefer Madness which is friggin' hysterical. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's on YouTube. Um, black and brown men, they use marijuana in this movie. They lose their minds and they start running around America raping white women. Brilliant propaganda. Totally worked. Totally worked. Convinced people to be afraid of marijuana and it worked for a very long time. The ironic thing is, is, is it's on YouTube now, but if YouTube was around in 1936, they would have been pushing the same narrative that, that marijuana was going to make Mexicans rape your wives because YouTube is part of the problem. They censor information the way the elite want it censored. You know, YouTube is owned by Google, one of the most powerful companies in the world, if not the most powerful company in the world. Amazon is the richest, but Google has the most reach. They control. If you want to learn some information, you type something into Google and they determine what stories appear at the top? If, that's, if that doesn't make them the most powerful na- uh, company in the world, what does? I mean, they have almost complete control of the information. Anyway, it worked, and the government outlawed marijuana for the next 80 years. Criminal. Criminal. Of course, nobody went to jail for it. Unless you're talking about the millions of Americans locked up for decades and their lives completely ruined for using or distributing this plant that I now grow in my garden next to fucking tomatoes. But I live in California. If I lived in Texas, a state that prides themselves in their freedom, I'd be locked up. Because again, here's the truth. Neither Republicans nor Democrats are on team freedom. They are on team power and control. They just promote it different ideas and different methodology for exerting that control. Texans like to pride themselves in that they believe in freedom. Well, then why is marijuana illegal? Texans do believe in freedom. Texans, the citizens, but the government's no different. California won't let you go to the beach and sit on it, right? You don't have the freedom right now in California to go sit on the beach, or at least you did not until this past Saturday. 
I think they realized they were fighting a losing battle and they, they loosened that up. But for three months, we could not go sit on the beach. And Texas won't let you light up a joint. None of these government officials believe in freedom. Okay, 1942. Moving on. We're going to get into the Enemy Act. Now, the Enemy Act came out in 1917 and it was revised. Now, this one's going to blow your mind, I promise. It was revised and renewed and passed in 1942 because of some shady, shady business done by a Bush. The act gave the president the power to stop any foreign trading deals he felt were necessary during time of war. And, um, you know, that's a lot of power. However, (laughs) now the president was also given the authority to suspend all trade under times of peace under the International Emergencies Economics Power Act. So basically, if the president wants to suspend trade, he can and he will. And in 1942, excuse me, he had he had to do it because of Grandpa and Senator Prescott Bush. Now, what did, what did Prescott Bush do? Okay, first of all, he is George Herbert Walker's dad and George W's granddad. So that family dynasty has been going and fucking up America for a long time. He was the CEO of several companies, and he helped fund the rise of Nazism. That's the one. Bingo. Take that in. Prescott Bush, a senator, the dad of future president George Herbert Walker Bush, funded the rise of the Nazi party. It's shocking information until you learn that funding our enemies is not uncommon for America. I mean, President Reagan assisted in the rise of Al-Qaeda, maybe inadvertently, maybe on purpose. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. I just know his actions assisted the rise of al-Qaeda, and President Obama directly armed and funded the rebels who became ISIS. Armed and funded the the rebels who became ISIS. We'll get into those later. Okay? Back to Prescott Bush. His investments into Nazism were not innocent mistakes that led to bad things. These were not not, um, collateral damage events. He willingly and knowingly funded Nazism well after they were a major threat and murdering Jews. And government documents that, that were declassified in 2013 show that America had entered the war against the Nazis. Bush continued to do this. Continued to conduct business with German businesses that were financing Hitler directly. Fucking crazy. Bananas. And they they kept that a secret till 2013. And that's what they do. That's what they do. They declassify things 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years later when everybody who would care is dead. You know, they didn't tell they didn't tell him that in the 40s. They would have they would have lynched the man. Okay. Anyway, his company's assets were seized by government in 1942 under the, the renewed trading with the enemy act. Okay, so that act gave the president a lot of power that he shouldn't have, number one, but number two, seems like needed to be done to stop Prescott Bush. So I don't know. Did George Bush's granddad hate Jews? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But either way, he definitely loved money more than he wanted to uh, help Jews. And the money that Prescott Bush made from dealing with the Nazis helped to establish the Bush family fortune for generations and set up its political dynasty. We've had at least two presidents 
the two Bushes that rose to power because of fortunes made in dealings with the Nazis. Now, that would be super shocking on its own, but we're going to later learn how we brought Nazi war criminals back to work for our government after the war. You know, to, to do unimportant jobs like heading up NASA and such. So we'll get to that next. Um, but one of the points I want to continue to hammer over and over in this series is that these people, they love to play identity politics and get us out of each other's throats. They love to talk about uh, anti-Semites out there and, you know, uh, white nationalists and they're anti-Semites and blah, blah, blah. However, those people themselves don't actually hate any group of people. I, I, I don't think uh, Prescott Bush hated Jews. Maybe he did, but I, I, I doubt it. I just know that they, they don't care about people either way. They're not nationalists. They don't care about your race, sexuality, or religion. doesn't matter to them. They only care about power, and they serve only one God, the almighty dollar. Prescott Bush financed the Nazis. His son, H.W., led illegal operations with the CIA before serving president, which we will get into. And W., well, he lied us into a war that we're still fighting today just to make some shady people some money, including his own family. All right, back to the Nazis. In 1945, which was the beginning, beginning with the end of World War II, at that time, we started importing Nazis into this country. Over 10,000, in fact. 10,000 Nazis, including over 1,000 who were brought here by our CIA to help with spying operations during the Cold War. So let me get this straight. We brought over Nazis to be spies on behalf of America during the Cold War. Seems to be a good decision, okay? But more notably, some of our greatest scientists were former Nazi doctors. And not just like run-of-the-mill Nazi doctors, you know, guys on on the side, on the down low. We're talking like the head Nazi doctors. And then, again, this is not opinion. These are declassified government facts that you can go read through boring government documents if you want. Not declassified until many, 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 many years later, as that is the government's MO, but declassified nonetheless. 88 Nazi scientists were brought to America by the CIA under a program that was, that was called Operation Paperclip. Look it up. Opera, Operation Paperclip, which is a real cute name for a program that was sneaking mass murderers into our country. Government's very, very clever about giving very bad legislation, very cute names. Uh, Reference the Patriot Act, right? Okay. So who are these Nazis? They were probably like Nazi adjacent, unimportant Nazis, right? Like people who didn't really like the Jew killing stuff, but went along with it out of fear from the Fuhrer, you know, probably like how Nobel Peace prize winning president Obama didn't want to drone bomb and kill thousands of brown children. He just went along with it. Nope, not the case. These Nazis whom our government brought to America were the real deal Jew hating gas chamber enthusiast Nazis. Some of the worst of the worst. Number one, we got Werner von Braun, who was the architect of the space Apollo program. And If there was like a VH1, what were they doing before they were famous special on this guy? You'd find out that he was one of Hitler's top guys. Von Braun was coveted by us because he had created the V2 rocket, which was the world's first long-range ballistic missile. A missile which, coincidentally, was used to kill over 10,000 innocent civilians. His creation. 
And oh, by the way, he also handpicked Jews out of concentration camps and forced them to work with him. And then when he had no more use for him, he'd gas them. Okay, one wonderful, lovely guy. He, he was the head of the Apollo space program. All right, number two, we got Kurt DeBus. He was the director of the John F. Kennedy Space Center in Florida for a decade. But in his previous life, he was Hitler's flight test director during the development of the same V-2 rocket. Then we got Hubertus Strughold. He helped the United States. This, this is a good one. He helped the United States Air Force and NASA develop medical care that could be used in space. Seems like an awesome thing, right? Medical care that could be used in space. But how was he able to do this? Well, he gained a lot of knowledge as a Nazi conducting human experimentation with extreme torture in extreme situations. <laughs> that, I shouldn't laugh. That's not funny. Brutal, horrible man. Tortured humans. Human experimentation and extreme torture on Jews. Killing who knows how many thousands. That's how he got it. That's how he learned the information he needed to help NASA. Okay. Dr. Kurt Blom helped our army develop biological weapons of war after helping Hitler come up with more efficient and cost-effective ways to euthanize Jews. You gotta love the pragmatism of Jew-killing Nazis. So, your government doesn't necessarily care about murder. Don't let them fool you. We've seen that over and over and over in history. And if you stick with this show as we get into the 1970s and beyond, I'll show you all kinds of examples. They don't care if innocent people are murdered. Your government is full of murderers. They just want to make sure you murder the right people. Okay. Continuing on, let's switch it up from Nazism and move on to 1947 and the system, systematic blacklisting of anyone in Hollywood suspected of having communist ties. So after the war, America was a little bit nervous and we overreacted a little bit. So, you know, back in the day before Hollywood was completely taken over by lefties, if, you went, if they went too far left, the government would ruin your life. So while the government was shipping Nazi scientists into the country, they were also making sure communists in Hollywood were properly dealt with. Seems to be a giant hypocrisy, right? So in 1950, the Red Channel's pamphlet was published and identified 151 Hollywood people who were red fascists and sympathizers. Soon those people were barred from employment in the entertainment field. And this was led by government. It was led by the House Un-American Activities Committee, HUAC. They would subpoena citizens for suspicion of communist leanings, and those who re refused to comply were imprisoned for obstruction of justice, which is a, the, one of the favorite go-to moves for government to imprison people who they really don't have anything on as I'm sure you've seen recently. Um, so again, while they're simultaneously importing Nazi scientists to work for NASA, NASA, not NASA, NASA, they're simultaneously putting Hollywood people in prison because they suspect them of being communists. It's just, it's hypocrisy that only our government could pull off. And the crazy thing is they, they keep these things secret for decades and decades until everyone who might have been affected by it is dead or doesn't care. And then when they release the information, it's just kind of like a collective, hmm, for most of America. Typically, it doesn't even get on the news. 
I mean, I can't wait to find out what things our grandchildren are going to find out about 9-11 or the Middle East wars or the overthrow of democracy by secret government agencies. I'll probably never learn because that information probably won't be declassified in my lifetime, but hopefully my grandkids will learn and hopefully they will care and hopefully they will push back. Anyway, guys, I'm going to wrap up episode two. Uh, this information that I'm putting out, I know it's kind of intense and kind of dense, so I want to keep them short. I don't want to give you too much to chew on at once. Um, but what I've learned in 20 years of paying close attention to this stuff, you know, I started paying attention after 9-11 um, because I knew immediately they were lying to us when they sent people off to die in war, is that government can't be trusted because they're not operating in a vacuum. Our government officials, they're puppets, and they're having their, their strings pulled by the billionaires who fund their campaigns, and they're richly, richly rewarded for governing the way those billionaires want them to govern. That's not to call billionaires evil. I'm not, I'm not demonizing capitalism. I think capitalism works. I don't think we have capitalism. I don't think we've had capitalism in this country for many, 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 many years. What we have is um, a system of government that creates an unplain, un- unfair playing field. In capitalism, in a true open market, everybody gets to compete on a fair playing field and the people with the best ideas and the best businesses practices, they advance and do well. What we have now is the people with the power and the money get to write the legislation to rig the game so that they get more of the power and the money and small businesses get crippled and the common man gets crippled. It's not actually capitalism. So I'm not, I'm not demonizing billionaires. Um, I'm sure there are some billionaires who have gotten there legit and who have earned every penny of of what they've earned. But I know the game is rigged to help them get more. Um, and that's what we need to correct. All right. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, and I'll try to come back in another week with one of these. Tomorrow we're going to be doing a standard Dad Presents with, with uh, Bernard and Rose and um, talking parenting issues. So... Take care of yourselves and thanks for listening.